Okay, welcome to another Villarreal USA podcast. These have been infrequent of late, I think. Um, but this is Alan sitting here in sunny rural California. And um, I'm joined by Raul from Spain. Welcome for your first uh, appearance on the podcast. Thanks. And Sid, who is... In a car somewhere. <laughs> Welcome, Sid. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hope everybody is staying safe and keeping well. I hope so, too. Um, okay. Hang on, guys. I can't tell what the recording's actually started. Just a minute. Uh, okay. This says we're recording. So <laughs> I'm going to assume that we are. Um, so, um, Raul, I, we thought we would ask you, since this is um, a big day in Spain, right? You were able to sort – everybody's able to go outside for the first day in, what, 50 days? 58, yeah. it's It's been a great day, very sunny, and we are starting the first phase called zero phase mm-hmm. towards us stopping this quarantine that we have been doing since March. I think it was March 11 when this all started and it was nice to get a bit of fresh air on the street. So I think that was cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there are specific times for people to go out depending on age, I understand? Yes. If you are a a minor under 14 years, you have to go out between, I think it was 10 o'clock to 7 o'clock. Okay. Uh, If you are uh, older than 70, you can go... uh, 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. And if you are between that ages and you want to do a sport, you can do it in the morning at 7 o'clock to uh, 10 o'clock or at the evening when it's uh, 8 o'clock to 11 o'clock. Well, I would say more a night, but mm-hmm. yes. And and you coach a a, a youth team, right? So what, yeah, what, I work with a youth team and an amateur side, a senior at the lowest level of the Spanish pyramid. Mm-hmm. And so, will they be starting any sort of organized activities yet, or is that something that has to wait? We are not sure we are, because our competitions depends of the, on the Valencian Community uh, Federation. So uh-huh. we are waiting to see what they will do. But all points to not competition until September. Okay, okay. And that's, which is probably a good lead in to our first topic, which is sort of the state of Spanish football generally because we um, – well, Sid, maybe you should kind of comment on what UEFA has said about the 
Copa and things like that and where where things are at the moment. <laughs> the state of Spanish football generally. How much time do you have, Alice? <laughs> well, not uh, that long. <laughs> not that much, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the, the news from a Villarreal perspective uh, of any relevance, again, we're not in the top six currently. Um, so if the season were to end kind of day, today in those prognostications, what it would require for Villarreal to make Europe is that the Copa del Rey winner um, already has a place assured. So it would depend because right now La Real is in the top six, Athletic is not. So if the sort of season were to end today, we would be hoping for a La Real win in the Copa. Um, the position that Athletic and La Real have taken, and, and I, for one, commend them for it. We have had this discussion a few times with Zach on the podcast as well, but to me, a game played without fans is just not the same. Um, and again, I, I'm strongly in favor of if the athletes are the ones saying that they wish to compete and understand all the risks that are associated with it, and it's within their right to do so. That's that's their livelihood. Um, but to sort of force a game to happen without fans, Athletic and La, La Real have taken the stance that they don't want to play that game until it is safe to have fans. And, and I think Raul rightly says, I don't think anybody thinks that'll be before September. Well, right. UEFA has said, we need to have your European teams, whichever league you are, decided by early August. So that would essentially suggest that the Copa would not be played until after European decisions had to be made. I don't know exactly <laughs> how that gets read, if that means that Spain therefore gets an extra place, because it is assumed that, you know, the higher seeded team would win. I'm not sure how you'd read that and, and necessarily why. VRL would get the spot over, say, Athletic, but I think the general rule has always been that the league standing wins out over a beaten cup finalist. So I think sort yeah. of if you put all those pieces together, you could find a way that even being in seventh uh, without the Copa del Rey final being played, that VRL could find a way into Europe. Yeah. I, it's, I think the thing for, for the, for athletic club is, and, and for La Real, I mean, this was going to be a big deal having a, a, an all Basque, um, final. And both of those teams to some degree, but certainly athletic are in a position where they don't because of their reliance on on Basque players as defined and the fact that they don't really enter into the transfer market in the same way as other teams do, I think it's probably less critical for them to qualify in seventh place for Europe than it is for a team like Villarreal. Um, I mean, Raul, would you say that's sort of a unique aspect for them? Yes, because uh, the market for Athletic has... Uh, as you said, it's very small. 
they will always go towards uh, players from Real Sociedad, Eibar, Alaves, and lower division because they have that rule, that unwritten rule that must be a player born in what they know as Euskal Herria, which is Euskadi, Navarra, and the Iparralde, which is the provinces from France, mm -hmm. or the other way would, for example, would make Griezmann to qualify is to be raised as a footballer in a team from that space. As Griezmann, if you recall, was a canterano from Real Sociedad, he would be able to play for Athletic. So, mm -hmm. they, what they have with the Copa del Rey, a problem, and the players ask for fans to come, and they won't play until fans can be allowed to come. It's because both teams are very important at that, at the Basque culture, you know. Mm -hmm. Football in Spain has also some cultural aspects and both are very representative from their provinces. Athletic in Bilbao, for example, is the big team. It's like uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona. The mm -hmm. same can be said from Real Sociedad in San Sebastián, which is something that if you go to other teams that were raised, like, for example, Villarreal now, uh, you go to Villarreal and you will find people that are Villarreal, but also Madrid, uh, Barcelona. That's something that won't happen up there because the team is ingrained into into their culture. Mm -hmm. So I think that Villarreal needs to go yes or yes to Europe which is now a bit difficult because if you don't play and the league finish now, I think they are sitting eighth, right? Correct, correct. Valencia would be seventh, yeah. Yeah, so that would mean another year without Europe, which mm -hmm. is something that you don't want to. The plan for Villarreal is always to be a top team in Spain, to be able to compete in Europe to compete in the Liga and it's something that you are not doing now because right yeah you are playing more like trying to not be relegated at the same time you want to achieve Europe more or less I think is the sum up of these last seasons well, the question, of course, I mean, so there, so there are two questions. I mean, one is what happens with the Copa del Rey final, and if, and if in fact it doesn't happen until after the the um, the European placings have to be decided, then that's that's one issue. And then the other is, does the league start up again at all? Um, and Sid, what do you think from what you're reading about that? Because it seems as though there's a continual um, fight between Tebas and Rubiales, but there's also the, the whole 
health questions of what even a game played behind closed doors has a bunch of people in it <laughs> and and players playing at close quarters and how safe can they really be yeah and and i i think and again you know um there's there's good in everyone and bad in everyone um, you know, if you ask Senor Roige, he's going to tell you a lot of things that he's happy with Tabas about. Um, I would tell you as a fan, there's a lot of things I'm not happy with Tabas about. But, uh, again, there's, there's, there's a balance, um, to be had. Um, I, I am appreciative very much that there seems to be more of a discussion now about player safety. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not something that can sort of be taken for granted. And I feel like too many of the discussions and Alan, you know, with collegiate sports in the U S it feels like this is just, you know, the, the players maybe are literally the last people um, who are ever consulted about things. So, mm-hmm. you know, when, when La Real, I think, you know, two weeks ago now was planning to restart and there seemed to be some sort of outcry from the players about doing so. Um, and the way that, you know, it's being proposed now seems to be taking player safety a lot more into account. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, so, so that's on, that's on the one hand, but I think, you know, Spain has always, and Tebas in particular has always been very aggressive about saying we're playing. Um, it's just a matter of us figuring out how you're going to have to sort of counterweigh that though, with the number of leagues that are calling off their seasons. Um, I think Belgium and Holland were, you know, if you're sort of in the top 10 of European leagues, I think they were the first to, to announce the seasons to be canceled. I think France though is a big development. Um, yeah. And, you know, so if if that can happen in France, I, I don't anymore sort of view it as impossible that it could happen across the rest of the continent. Um, again, I, I think you'd put Sp- France clearly fifth in the rankings. Um, and, you know, it seems the Germans are the most aggressive. Now, of course, I think the Germans have also been far and away much more successful at containing the virus than these other countries. Um, you know, in England, they still seem to be aggressive, but there still you know, seems to be some pushback. Italy is probably more like Spain, where it doesn't really seem like they're, they're in a position yet in the country to be able to do this. But all of the talk coming from Italy is also very aggressive. So I, I think France is meaningful. Um, but it, it may be that, you know, the, the bigger leagues and again, Spain being so heavily reliant on TV, um, just as, just as Italy is, um, you know, maybe even Italy and Spain are a little bit different of a place than England and Germany, um, because the gate is so much more important in those countries, Right. That, you know, they do have to make a decision, even if they're going to come back and play, playing without fans is kind of a bigger deal in England and Germany than it is in Spain and Italy. And as we know, with the idea of, you know, playing in Sevilla in 40 degree weather in July, 
doesn't seem to bother anybody. You know, I don't, I don't think that the fans' interests uh, are, have always been number one uh, in La Liga. Right. Okay. Uh, I have some things to say about this. Go, go ahead. <laughs> okay. First one. Uh, Tebas and Rubiales, let's say the, that they are in a big measurement contest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, here, uh, football in Spain. So we have uh, La Liga. We have the Federation. They are La Liga is the one that organize uh, Primera and Segunda, while the Federation allows it to happen. At the same time, Federation does Segunda B and Tercera. Okay, so first I want to put that picture out there. You know, the teams that go with La Liga, the teams that are more like in Federation right now. But Federation is the government body. Uh, La Liga wants to continue play because they have a lot of money in there. But at the same time, we have in the, uh, the called uh, CSD, which is the Spanish uh, Superior Council of Sports, which is the one that will say if you can play or not. So okay. they are like trying to see if they can make it happen, La Liga, while the Federation wants to close the league. They awarded the ones that will go to Champions, the ones that will go to the Europa League. But La Liga was against it. About playing in Sevilla, well, players are not happy with that also. And about uh, La Liga taking uh, caring about the fans, not at all. The schedules that we have for the matches have always been very criticized. Yes. Because, because there isn't one. <laughs> it, yeah. it changes, it changes even the week before the match. Um, yeah, because so, yep. that's <laughs> a bit problematic because in Spain we have uh, the free match. Because the match that have to be always on free TV. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And they have to choose the match. The problem, the, before they change the laws, because this is a law, in case you wonder, before they change it, you could have a Real Madrid Barcelona on prime time TV in Spain. But when Tebas started to make expansion to the league, he decided to try to take the rule out. Problem is that in Spain that it's very difficult to happen. Last time that you made a very difficult decision, you ended with 22 teams in La Liga. So it's kind of a deal here. And they decided to, okay, we will have the match, but that match won't have uh, an European league team. I mean, an European team. So any team that plays Champions League and Europa League tends to not be featured on that free TV 
until they are eliminated. So you normally have to choose what match to put there. They right. also and, want... and the free and the free match you're referring to is the the Friday evening, correct? Yeah, and we normally yep. have it Friday evening. Right. Sometimes is the Monday night, but usually Friday. The main problem is also because the schedule, something that it's very, we don't like it because they will, they want to make the schedule for the uh, fans abroad. Mm-hmm. But the main problem, for example, was playing a match at noon in Andalusia, which when they were having a lot of let's say San, or in Villarreal, I recall uh, Villarreal Valencia, where Alvaro was having a very difficult time with the heat, and mm-hmm. at half time, the, he needed the doctor. So, you know, the main problem, there's something that we don't agree with Tebas, is that projection towards the fan abroad, and making the schedule according to them. Mm-hmm. And that's why the schedule is so problematic here. Right. Well, and it's not even great for us abroad because of the, in the U.S. anyway, the, the TV contract with um, BN Sport. BN Sport is not a major network that a lot of places can get. So... Mm-hmm. I, I, I was going to say just on that, you know, the Friday night game is pretty awful for people in the U.S. to be yeah. able to watch. Um, pretty awful, I'd imagine, in Asia. So the Friday night one, and you were mentioning either Friday or Monday. Of course, we had a few seasons where it was both, which was mm-hmm. just horrendous um, <laughs> with the idea of trying to make it four nights a week of programming. You know, there were, yeah. there were, there were the weeks where there was that, and then the midweek games, which were Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday over three nights, so there was a game on, you know, for ten consecutive days or whatever it was. Um, but I, I think, and, and thank you for that perspective, obviously from being in Spain, you know, we all, <laughs> we all have the same sentiments, but feel like, you know, from abroad it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, but I think I think the the frustrating thing is just sort of it seems like you know that Saturday at noon kickoff is an attempt to try and reach the Asian market, and yes. then the Friday the Friday night game I suppose maybe is an attempt to reach the other continental European market because other leagues I think the Bundesliga plays Friday night, uh, but most of the other leagues don't. And then, you know, the fans in Spain, you know, you still have the sort of prime time 8 and 10 p.m. games on Saturday and things. But, you know, one the old saying of when you try and please everybody a little bit, you make everyone angry. Yes. Uh, is, is exactly how I feel about sort of how this is done strategically. Yeah. Uh, here we ask normally for the old ways that was Saturday matches, some matches I think were three or four, and rest you had a lot of matches at five o'clock Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon and a big match 
at nine o'clock. And we have that uh, we were used to turn on the radio and listen what we call Carrusel Deportivo. And we were hearing about five matches at the same time. And it was like a mythical moment for us that we were having a chat with people or something and the radio at background and suddenly you would hear goal in Mestalla yes. and they would turn to that field and say eh, this player scored this goal now they're uh, one nil or Valencia is losing you know and yes right now that's what we complain that they want to please mainly abroad fans but the question we always have is also like for example uh, the Friday game and you put uh, let's say Leganes Valladolid how many people abroad have even heard about Leganes <laughs> yeah it, it's a lot of times the uh, I mean we saw Avar have been in have gotten those um, the the Friday and Monday matches. I know Athletic Club have gotten a bunch and have gotten a lot of early noon kickoffs too. And it just doesn't. I when I first started um, with the blog in 2010, you know, we still had um, Canal the Radio Now in Valencia, and I remember exactly what you said that you would be you would tune into the radio and and uh, they would there would be that little clicky noise that would let you know that they were going to tell you about a goal somewhere and and it was great having all these matches going on at once and now there's it feels like a lot of that excitement is lost and and as you say how many people are going to watch Valladolid Leganes on a Friday night I don't know <laughs> I don't think that many in Spain much less in the US or something Yes yes because in Spain we have that particularity that I was saying before with Villarreal that Villarreal now is a big player here but before that happened normally people will always go to a big one team and that happens a lot in a lot of places. And unless that team is very relevant at their culture, like Athletic Club, Real Sociedad, Barcelona, or Espanol, or in Andalucía, Sevilla, Betis, you normally go there. So now in Spain, people normally, by adult, you only watch it for one simple reason, fantasy football. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Yep. So. Yeah, and 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 I think I think you're you're getting at so many good points, Raúl. And I think again, just it's it's sort of frustrating, you know. If, if Tebas's idea has always been, and this is what Senor Roig talks about, you know, he's studying the best practices of other leagues to get Spain sort of into the 21st century. And you know, I get. I think there's some points of that that are fair. And I think, for example, Villarreal Stadium remodel is not something you hear about too much in Spain. You know, I suppose the Wanda is an example or the the Bernabeu. But you know, I've always had my feelings that the Bernabeu is sort of like Yankee Stadium. It's really just a, a corporate experience. Um, 
you'll have a lot of people say that the Camp Nou is now a, just a tourist experience for most people. Yes, um, we have a term for that. Even in Spanish, we say uh, come pipas. That you go okay. there to eat some snacks. Yes, yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. I, I, I didn't know if you were going to use chaquetero or come pipas, so I wasn't <laughs> sure which one. Uh, yeah, come pipas. Yep. Yeah. So, but, but, you know, I think the, the issue I have with the scheduling is, you know, again, Tebas's position is sort of, I'm trying to modernize Spain. Well, you know, and I think Italy tried at one point to do this same sort of thing that they were going to insist there were 10 different time slots. You know, every team played in a different time slot so that every game could be available abroad on TV or, you know, every game could be separately shown. And mm-hmm. The problem is you have a lot of Leganes Valladolid's that are there. And it's great to showcase the league for purposes of we want every team to be shown. But, you know, I think England does it in, in a much better way. And, you know, I think their insistence is sort of if you're a big team, you don't automatically get a primetime game, you know. Mm-hmm. Manchester United and Chelsea and Liverpool and Arsenal are playing in that sort of typical, I think it's 2.30 or 3.30 UK time Saturday, the sort of slot where five or six games happen. It's not that they're exempted from that. Whereas you know every week Barcelona and Madrid, and they could be playing, you know, again, A-bar at home and they're going to score six goals – and it doesn't matter. They always get their own time slot. So so just when there's sort of, you know, completely unequal treatment, and I think Atletico is probably included in that now, that I don't think they're ever sort of in the time slot where multiple teams ever play. You do have this situation where, yeah, you know, A-Bar will play 10 times on Friday night. People didn't tune in the first nine. It's not like they're going to change their mind and say, oh, this team has been on so many times, I'm going to give them a look. Yeah. And, you know, I think it almost reinforces that there are classes and divisions in these things. Whereas, like you said, you know, that, that Sunday 5 o'clock was the time, you know, the Bundesliga has a similar Saturday afternoon time slot. France has a Sunday afternoon time slot. So it just, again, trying to please everybody and say everybody will get an equal chance to be shown on TV, it just, it doesn't work out that way. And so, you know, for example, be in sport, some of those time slots where it is Leganes Valladolid, they just don't show the game. They don't buy the rights for it. Whereas if Leganes Valladolid were one of four games being played at five o'clock Sunday, they would buy the rights so that they could do the carousel if there are goals to show during those games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they would at least spend the money on the product. So I, I just think the whole sort of thought process has been a little bit counterproductive. Right. I th- yeah, it's, it's, yes, is something that I would uh, like to add something more in okay. Spain. Some times ago, now they have remodeled the TV rights, but here in Spain, you had the free TV match, you have, you had eight matches for 
being sports, they were the ones current, and you also had one match for the Digital Plus. They would call it el partidazo, the big match. Mm -hmm. That match had to always be a match for either Barcelona, Real Madrid, or Atlético en Madrid. Okay, right. So I don't have more to add to that. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 very true. Um, well, let's let's take a brief break here, and then and um, then I want to come back and talk a little bit about some Virial specific things. So we're just going to take a break for a few seconds. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so let's talk about Villarreal. Um, one of the things that happened, which I don't think got a lot of coverage um, over here, but I'm assuming got more locally, was the departure of our, um, what was his title, director of football, um, uh, Pablo Ortez, left for Mallorca, which is kind of interesting. So, I mean, Raul, what what do people make of that in in the Villarreal area? Is this is there a story here? <laughs> is there something we don't know? Right now, I haven't heard anything. We just were kind of surprised because he was for a long time there. Why he left? Mm -hmm. We don't know. It's kind of an interesting move. There's always been some kind of rumor that working with Roch is a bit difficult. Uh -huh. So I don't know if the relationship deteriorated or if he's looking for something more. Because as Mallorca is now trying to break them more like a, an important club here. So I don't know if he's looking more like he's looking for making a big club now. And as Villarreal is not going so well right now, since mm. Gordon left, the transfers have been a bit, let's say, it, not very good. So maybe... Yeah. <laughs> some good, some not so good, yeah. 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 So I think he's looking more like trying to make a big impact now with Mallorca and maybe Villarreal, they have someone already there for that post. So I imagine that goes more or less with that. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I was going to say, Alan, I think this is one of those also that sort of replacing a legend is, is always difficult. So, you know, coming coming in after Cordon, and I mean, you know, he certainly made some mistakes as well, but the hits were such home runs, and, you know, 
the policy over many years and, and frankly, the ad- adaptability to have gone from sort of, you know, the South American market was untapped to then have, you know, gone to a little bit more of this model of we're going to take players at bigger clubs who haven't succeeded. And so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe willing to look for an opportunity um, to a little bit of, you know, we're going to offer veterans a bit more in their contract to get them to sign in a place where they wouldn't, you know, Soldado, I'll be all those kinds of things. So, you know, he, he had the successes in a different n- number of different areas uh, over a very long time. So mm. I think it's just one of those, it was, it was a tough spot to come into uh, for anybody. Um, and again, I think Ortels had been at the club a long time, probably was looked at as sort of the, the second in line. I don't think things worked out as well for him. And so, you know, I think it became, you know, probably always being compared and not nearly being as successful. Um, and I think like Raul said, I think Mallorca, assuming they stay up, which is, is a big if, um, they are trying to position themselves, you know, as to, to have a bigger profile. And obviously, you know, of the American, um, financial infusion there. So I'm right. also imagining that his contract was probably, we're going to pay you more. We're going to give you more responsibility and you don't have to live up to Cordon every day. Um, you know, you, you can come here and sort of make, make your own stamp. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's probably a lot more logical than it, it got made out to be. The the weird thing, of course, is the timing. Um, weird, and the the timing is weird. And I think the thing that's also was a little surprising to me was that the last year, I think last summer, um, Senor Lizarraga had a column in EPM where he. Which made it sound as though we were going to go and hire somebody as a more of a high profile um, sporting director um, that Ortels was fine with at what he was, but he wasn't really up to up to that level. And so I don't know, maybe that maybe that entered into it. But I was surprised that then after he left, the first name that came up was Danielle Bonera as somebody to replace him. And I thought that doesn't sound like somebody with a lot of experience in the transfer market. Albeit, I like Bonera. I always, you know, enjoyed it when he was able to play for. <laughs> but it seems it well. Seem but but great. but I think the the one thing I was going to jump in, Raul, is I think there's a question also of how much how much does Roig have his finger on what's going on right now? And, yeah. Um, whether whether that's him directly or his Reutz Negeroles, um, you know, I think in American sports we see it all the time where the owner tries to get involved in coaching and the owner tries to get involved in personnel decisions. Uh, it doesn't necessarily work out. And, you know, so I think there's a question, maybe Cordon was his own personality and he was able to maintain some distance you know, was Ortel's really calling the shots? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so, like you said, you know, bringing bringing somebody in higher profile certainly would establish some independence. But bringing in like somebody like Bonera, who 
you know, probably has more loyalty, uh, you know, might might be more in line with the recent decisions that have been made. Mm. Ro, what do you think about about well, that? I think that with what he's saying has some logic to it because Bonera could be more loyal mm-hmm. while or was something let's say a self-made man he started as a youth coach for Villarreal and he was just making himself more and more important as time went on and maybe it's something that in Spain tends to happen also and sometimes a lot uh, an owner or a president of a club tries to make some decisions whether it's in the matter of transfers the famous case we have here is Florentino Perez mm-hmm. in that remark there's some stories about him while sometimes you even have the owner trying to play coach as Sid said with Roch there was something saying about when Marcelino was fired was because Marcelino was asking for something he's too stubborn but Roch is also the same so it was more like a personality clash between both of them yeah I think that's and certainly from Senor Roger's viewpoint, I mean, he's, I mean, it is his club, you know, and, and ultimately, yeah. ultimately that's, it, it's interesting though, and I guess I was especially thinking about it because, um, earlier today we had news of the death of one of Senor Roger's brothers, um, Alfonso, and sort of made me think again about the, um, the fact that it's a classic business school study where most family companies don't survive the second generation. And, you know, certainly the, the, um, senior Roy being the first generation, it's like, yeah, that, that transition is a really hard one to make. And I, okay. That's uh, one second. The first one to start the empire was the father of this senor Roch. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that, I know that one. I'm oh, talking okay. about of Villarreal, yes. Ah, okay. Yeah. Senor Roch is the second yes. of, um, yeah. In yeah. this case, it's Roch Nagarola. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. No, and, 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 and I think, Alan, to take your point, I mean, you gotta remember where the heck the club was. <laughs> it was, it was, it was nothing to nobody. And as he has said, you know, literally the team has put the town on the map physically. Yes. Um, yes. so is so. something that I'm trying to make an article about those 70 years before Roch. Yes. Well, we'll look for it and Pascual von de Mora and, and all, all of, all of the history there. But, but I think. This is this goes to the point, Alan, of just saying it's it's going to be hard for him, you know, particularly as you you get older in life, and you know, I'm sure his dream still would be seeing the club in a final. Um, you know, 
a Europa League trophy or something like that. Sure, sure. And right. and, and, so, and and so you can jump in Raul in a sec. But but I, you know I think that only lends to more and more of an interest in sort of being hands on and making decisions. You know I think over the past few years, right, Marcelino not his guy. Um, Velasquez, probably more his guy. Garrido, probably more his guy. Um, you know, Manolo Preciado, I, I jury's out on, on where that would have been. But the trend towards the managers have been people who probably would have had more loyalty to him. Same for Luis Garcia Plaza. And then you can see over time on the sporting side, go from Cordon to Roig Negueroles to an Ortel's to a rumor of Bonera, it's also moving in that direction. And and again, I think in his defense, he's going to say, well, where the heck were you without me? Um, but I think you you do see more of a movement. And and so I'd have a little bit of a concern that, you know, you'd, you'd have sort of an in-house guy, both management side and personnel side. And so I think that's one of... One of the reasons, seeing that Roig Negaroles is so involved on the personnel side, that we've all been talking about having a stronger personality as a manager being an important counterbalance. Yeah. Where right now we have, we have essentially a, a guy who's his main, one of his main strengths is his loyalty, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's not like you have a Unai Emery or somebody like that that you. It's a high-profile coach from outside. Yeah, I mean, Raul, what do people? What do people in in the Virial area think about? We've we've had this discussion on here about how fans view the team and what do they take to be happy and what what do you think about that? Well, uh, it's. The area of Villarreal is very big with a lot of towns and a lot of teams with a lot of history. So let's say it's very varied. There's people that live and love Villarreal and they are very happy for the team to be in Primera, to be a top, a top team. And they would like to manage to win Copa del Rey, Liga and play a lot of times in the Champions. Mm-hmm. So let's say that's the objective that a lot of people have with the team. That the team managed to be the same uh, when in Spain you think about Deportivo, uh, Celta, uh, Malaga, Sevilla, Betis, you know, big teams. An historic of Primera División, which mm-hmm. is Something that Villarreal since the early 2000s have already accomplished. You can see, for example, images of the time that Villarreal was runner up in La Liga, that they even have a Rua, you know, the bus with the players celebrating being the second mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. La Liga. I think that sum up the idea of the team. You want to go farther and farther. You want to be a big team. So something that makes you achieve that is always welcome. Right now, it's the work in progress. 
you don't want to go back to segunda, mm -hmm. something that you didn't like. So I think people more or less agree with all that ideas of growth, of trying to improve always the team. Sometimes you are a bit confused, like when Calleja was fired and later rehired was something weird. As here, you normally when you fire one, you won't take it back. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of curious, but in the end, what you look for is that. And when it's match day, people are, are always there at the stadium, supporting the team, trying to accomplish the objective. So I think more or less goes that. Other people around the area are happy for a team in Primera. So they go to the stadium to see Primera matches. Mm -hmm. And finally, you have the Madrid-Barcelona fans. Some of them are starting to be also Villarreal fans. That they were more like buying tickets for the Madrid or Barça coming here. Right. So you have more or less, I would say more or less that. But the main picture you have is that of this team is something that can be very important for our province, especially as, as here, let's say you didn't have a big team in Primera like other places. So Villarreal is like trying to make themselves into it. Yes, that's a, that's a good point. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's really special about Villarreal is the fact that it is so involved in the activity in, in the province and, um, and, uh, and is so important economically to the region. Um, because as you say, we, there just wasn't that much else before. Um, I, I think the question that comes up is, as we were saying earlier, if you, if Virial, you know, if either we aren't able to finish the season or we do finish it, but we don't end up in the top six or seven, so we're not in Europe, um, you know, two years in a row out of Europe is, that's disappointing. Um, and that's not something that we're, we're happy about. Yeah, and, and Raul, I was curious on that sort of some people feel one way, some people feel the other. We from the outside have always felt that there's a generational difference, that people who have grown up, you know, say, seeing the VRL of the past 20 years, so people, you know, in their 30s, 40s, um, the only thing that they've really known has been being in Primera, uh, being in Europe most years. Uh, and then you have the older generation who says, boy, I remember when we were in the Tercera and, you know, playing on a playing on a potato field um, in in some of our away trips. Is 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 that sort of where you see a distinction also in terms of how demanding people are about, say, being patient with Kaeha or being patient with personnel decisions? Yes. There's a 
very clear uh, generation there. For example, one of my cousins, he is a big Real Madrid fan. And he has tried for his son to also be a Madrid fan. But his son has decided to go with Villarreal. Because, because since he was born, Villarreal has always been this big team. And people, as you said, that have been used to it. For example, me, I have only seen Villarreal in segunda and primera. For example, mm -hmm. while my father has even seen it in the regional preferente, the mm -hmm. level before tercera. Right. So, you have all that. And as you have said, people that as are used to Villarreal to be in primera will be always more demanding of continuing to be in primera. Well, people that have been used to see Villarreal in lower divisions are more than happy with what they are. Well, always will be some people that are very ambitious and will always go to Villarreal have to be the top, always. Uh -huh. I think the newer generation, some of them are more demanding of the coach, of the players, but because they have been used for a team, that some people here, for example, says that when Roch leaves town, Villarreal will go to Segunda B because there won't be backing from money. Mm -hmm. So people are always more demanding of Roch have money, put money on the team so we can go to Champions League, so we can compete Madrid, Barça, we can compete against Valencia because, as you recall, uh, Valencia has always been like a third team in most of the recent leagues. Now mm -hmm. it's Atletico, the one. But, you know, you have that mentality of always trying to be the third team of Spain, at least. So there's some demanding towards the coach and players always to perform the best they can. Mm -hmm. What I'm I'm curious. I'm taking taking your job, Alan, for a second. But we've talked about this on on a few prior podcasts. What what do you think is realistic, Raúl? We hear that there are sort of these both sides of the issue, and you know we've all been having the discussion. What is the true level setting? You know, we may be sixth or seventh in budget, but probably closer to eight or nine or even ten in, in terms of actual profile. Um, that, like you say, teams like maybe Depor and, and Celta, even though we place above them, they probably have a bigger fan base. Betis, I think, is, is definitely an example. What what do you think are realistic expectations? Because, for example, if realistic expectations are, you know, make Europe every other year, well, maybe we're still sort of on track for that. Um, but if it is make Europe most every year and make the Champions League every you know, four or five years, we seem to have fallen off the pace. I think the expectation for Villarreal should always be more like being at mid-table. At least don't go down below 10th. Mm -hmm. Always go 10th or above. Being in Europe is very difficult. You have to remember where you are. You are now 
starting to have one of the best canteras in Spain. So that's something very good. You have a lot of agreements with a lot of teams here, mainly in the province. It's impossible for a player to play in the province of Castellón and to not have been scouted by Villarreal at least once. So mm. you have always a good national team of, of scouts. So I think more or less you should aim right now at 10th or above. And from that, build towards being a 7th or above. You know? Mm -hmm. I mean, little by little, you have to always remember that, for example, you both are Americans. So Spain is not like the United States, these are not fr franchises, you can go to Segunda, and if you go to Segunda, you will lose a lot of money there. So you have to always be careful about how you will build the team to achieve the objective. Mm -hmm. so I think you have to be uh, careful how you aim, but at least 10th or above. I think that's where Villarreal should be. And if you achieve that, to always be 10th or above, more or less, I think you will end up, as I said, Deportivo, Celta, an historic team in Primera because you are always there competing. Sometimes you will achieve Europe, sometimes you won't, but you know that you are a pain in the ass. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and you, and if you have some good Copa runs and maybe get to a final or even win it, that yes. helps too, yes. Yes, yeah. you look for that. Right, right. Okay, well that's, that's, that's really, that's a really good insight and that's, that's probably, we're getting on for an hour here, so it's probably a good time to, to end, um, this podcast. We can come back and, and, uh, certainly talk more about the, where we might see the team, what might happen in the next few weeks as we, as things develop. But, um, I just want to thank you, Raul, for, for being available. It's been great talking to you. And Sid, it's been wonderful having you on as well. Yeah, Raul to the, to the first of many. We really, we really appreciate having a voice from, from Spain. Indeed. So until uh, next time, this is Alan for Raul and Sid and the Van Virial. <laughs>